This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter and what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsock and we are back here doing a Game of Thrones rewatch. A couple weeks off. A little bit more on that in a second, on, uh, and where uh, soon you'll be able to uh, catch Castle Talk. Well, actually, it's the same spots, and plus one. Uh, we've been teasing it, but now we're going to explain it a little bit more here today. I am Ken Napsack. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of time has passed. It seems two whole weeks. That's a long time when you are in the middle of a Game of Thrones. We watch to uh, press pause. I had to kind of reset. We did uh, Season 2, Episode 6, the last time out. This is the 94th episode overall of Casterly Talk. But now today we are going to be looking at Season 2, Episode 7 of Game of Thrones, which is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, It, of course, is A Man Without Honor. Originally aired on May 13, 2012, director David Nutter, who is his second He directed the sixth episode of the season, Uh, comes in here to, uh, you know, do the two-pack, as it often is the case with the director, sliding through him. Just masterful in this episode. Uh, The writers, Benioff and Weiss, hey, yeah, they they know how to write these episodes. Uh, Darn good. Uh, Martin Kenzie is cinematographer, editing editing done by Oral Nori Ote. Ote, Ote. And here we are diving on in here to the show. Uh, pretty soon, uh, very soon, I'll be uh, rejoined by Rachel Cushing, Andres Cabrera. Finally got to get Lon Harris in here for these rewatches. Uh, Thomas Rizling, Mark Kamire, and a lot of other guests. Michelle Boyd, a lot of people I'm looking to get in. We, we got we got eight seasons. We're only just, you know, a season and a half plus into this rewatch. And uh, as I said before, we'll handle some of the business up top before we dive into the episode. A lot of you might know, some of you maybe don't know, but I, uh, I'm part of a new company called Good People Association, Good People Medium. Me, Josh McCuga, Mark Riley, Eric Bass of the band Shinedown, started a production company, a digital brand, Empire of Fun, and uh, we're doing a bunch of our own content. You can go over to the YouTube channel, uh, Good People Association, or you can go to our website, thegpa.fun. But as you all know, I do, I do my own things as well. So some things, I know it may be confused, and I have my own company called Morning Drive Media, which has been producing this show. And by producing this show, I mean it's been me in my home studio. Uh, we are uh, the Napsock Files, and Saturday Night Napsock is something I'm going to continue to produce on my own. But a lot of my other properties will start uh, going under the banner of the Good People Association. And as I've been saying for a little bit, Casually Talk is one of those shows. Uh, so what's going to happen? It's a, it will be a co-production. It's still mine. It's still still. Um, if you choose to support me, another uh, you know a Patreon page, which you can do at the Catnapsock Patreon page, or even directly here at Casterly Talk, that supports Morning Drive Media and production of the show. But we're going to be part of this larger network. And why I'm excited for that is, well, we got some Game of Thrones news, and I know a lot of you might be tuning in and going, "Ken, you haven't talked about some of the Game of Thrones House of Dragon news, or the Dunkin' Egg, or the animated series." I want to get, number one, wait till there's a little bit more news, but also by going under and with the GPA banner, I'll be able to bring more people on. I'll be able to eventually soon be in studio. By the time House of the Dragon launches, you you can actually have a a, a four-panel show, just like the old days and other uh, outlets. We'll be discussing that here at Casually Talk. 
The podcast stays the same. If you're subscribed to Casterly Talk, yeah, look for it wherever your favorite podcasts are found. That stays. That uh, that RSS feed is uh, right where it is. You don't need to find it anywhere else. I've been putting a lot of these videos up on uh, his here YouTube channel. Many of you are probably watching it on my own channel. This will be the last one that is on my own channel. We have the Casterly Talk YouTube page just launched. I mean, we're talking like 24 subscribers. It doesn't even have its own URL. You just have I'll send the link. It'll be in the description below, as they say. And we'll tweet it out, and you'll be able to subscribe there. And that channel, we're going to kind of grow that channel, get that channel nice and ready for uh, a, a robust uh, fan base for House of the Dragon and all the other shows. And that's one of the reasons I'm excited, because I did think about shutting down Castle Talk at one point. The show was done. I still was in love with the show, but I know a lot of people weren't. And yeah, the books were coming, and I read the books. I'm a book fan, but yeah, are, are we going to have time to go through it? Is it going to be the same, right? Is it going to be the same? But I decided to do the rewatch and really kind of analyze. And I'm feeling really rewarded by that. This episode is one of the episodes I'm looking back going, there's so much here that ties to the, the, the forthcoming seasons in Game of Thrones. You know, I've just been really rewarded. And I hope a lot of you are as well and have a lot of fun. You know, if you're like me, you love Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, like Star Wars, like some of you like, like MCU and everything. And it's something I keep going back to. So. That was one thing I was excited about doing. But now I'm excited about, hey, this world continues. The House of the Dragon, you know, whether it's one season and done because it's horrible, we'll find out. But we're going to get to talk about it here at Castle Talk. And then now with the Dunk and Egg stuff, this animated series, that's something I'm very intrigued about, very intrigued with that. And, of course, eventually George will finish the book. So we're not going anywhere. In fact, we're only going to get stronger. Go subscribe over to the new YouTube channel. Keep listening to the podcast um, so you can take it on your on the go. And uh, we'll be a part of the Good People Association. Uh, more coming there soon, which also means you can get exclusive content if you join up with the GPA.fun and, and all those kind of things. So today we are talking at, let me get that thumb, look at that thumbnail. Oh, Jon Snow, if you're watching on YouTube, Jon Snow. Now this episode, A Man Without Honor, all builds to Jamie Lannister. And him kind of being this man without honor. But as we do here at Game of Thrones, uh, Castle Talk, when we look at Game of Thrones, we're going back to find the uh, themes and lessons uh, and, and what is there for us in the show. And I keep I keep joking, because Benny Offenweiss wrote this episode, right? And you can say all the jokes uh, you want about season seven and eight if you don't like those seasons. Uh, I understand. But they, this is one of the best written episodes of the series and they really had a handle of it. And a lot of it's, a lot of it's book stuff, a lot of it not. And a lot of you uh, watching and listening along with me know that, know that the show diverged from the books or left the path of books from the opening scene of the show. Did they have a stronger spine to build on more source material to dig into? Of course, of course. But this is one of those episodes that I just look back and go, they really had an understanding of what they were doing with these characters, and I, I, I believe, for my money, that carries out. But a lot of a lot of things can tie back to this one here. So excited to get into this one. And as I was saying, I sidetracked myself, trying to almost like pre-debate anyone trying to debate Benny <laughs> Benny Hoffman-Weiss. This is Jamie Lannister's episode, "A Man Without Honor." Right? It's it builds to him, but Benny Hoffman-Weiss, for all of the praise I just heaped on them, they always say. We don't do themes. I think it's Benioff who uh, says, you know, themes are for eighth grade book reports. And look, that's a fun snarky line. I don't even know where the interview came from. I'm taking it even out of context at this point. I'll tell you, it doesn't matter. The themes are there. The themes are in the episodes. They just cry out themselves. This episode is about honor. And we've already been dealing with that a lot. Honor is big in Game of Thrones. It is something that the characters deal with every episode. But this, this episode is just beat after beat after beat about honor. And honor in this world and what it means for uh, the men and, and, of course, the women. But uh, in this uh, brutal men-dominated world, it's about what they are, um, what their views of honor or, or, or people, how they view their honor. So... I call this a slow burn of a season. Uh, I don't want to remix what I say almost every week, uh, every episode, looking at season two of Game of Thrones. It's become one of my favorites. 
very quickly became one of my favorites. But I remember being slightly disappointed while watching it live back in 2012. Oh, time flies. I hadn't even begun producing the Schmozno movie show <laughs> when this episode, when this season was airing. Wow. Time. Time. What is time? So it's a slow burn. And you come off the great first season and you got a lot of character stuff. And you're wanting to build to something. Now, we didn't quite know if, again, uh, taking the, the book aside, the books aside, as viewers and even, even as book readers who were viewing the show, the pattern of each season builds to something big at episode nine or the penultimate episode of, of most seasons until, you know, season eight just kind of comes in with its own big stuff and season seven too. But for the first six seasons, it was just kind of that pattern we felt. Everything's after Ned Stark and, and what happened to him in, in Baylor and then the Battle of Blackwater Bay, which we are getting to here in this season. You know, it just kind of became the season, uh, each season it was like, what, what what's episode nine going to be? Now I think that pattern's, Somewhat changed. I'm thinking of season four. Watchers on the Wall is uh, episode nine, right? But episode eight is Oberyn. Like it, it, it's it's a loose pattern, but it's a pattern, and it's a pop culture pattern. We all just knew. We hadn't been familiar with that pattern yet, and so that's why this season, I, I, I say slow burn, which is a good thing. It's like a nice slow roasting campfire, you know. It's just building and building and building. But the, this episode, this late in the season, see, season two, episode seven. It's a slow-paced episode. It takes its time, which I know a lot of us love and some people lament that was missing from later seasons, which I understand. I don't think you needed to do that as much, but not to have that debate right now. But this this episode doesn't seem like it's building directly to the Battle of Blackwater Bay. Hell, you know, Stannis isn't around. Melisandre's not around. There's a lot going on in season two. By season seven... The, the the murder of, of Renly is way in the rearview mirror for me. It's it's like, oh, that's right, it's the same season. But we're building to it. And while this may may, may have hurt season two while it was going on, I mean, it didn't hurt it a lot. The, the ratings continued to grow, obviously. But, you know, that little bit of uh, water cooler talk of, I, I, don't know, I mean, this season, second season is Game of Thrones. I don't know, it seems okay. I, I just remember having those conversations with people. But this is one of the best episodes of the season. And I, I contend one of the best episodes in the entire run of the show. Great scenes, often one-on-one, and powerful moments, and great, great performances. And I keep going to choices. I, I talk about actors' choices when they go into scenes. Yes, there's a script. Yes, there's a director. And David Nutter comes in and just really just knows how to find the power in these quiet scenes. But the actors make choices. And there's different ways to approach every line. And can you go deeper? Can you go different? And, and the takes they got, I just, I'm continually, continually blown away by the choices in this particular episode. But also the show overall, obviously that's why the show worked. That's why the show garnered all those awards and attention. It wasn't just some poppy, fluffy show. There's depth there. And, and, and the actors are, are perhaps the prime reason for that. Uh, Lena Headey, uh, Peter Dinklage have one of their best scenes, one of some of their best stuff. And I love watching it. And that's why this episode just continues to stand out to me as absolutely one of the best. You're the best around. Oh, that's different. That's different. Right? Talk about honor, honor, themes and lessons. So there's a lot of men with it. And again, I, I want to be clear. There's There's some... Obviously powerful female characters in Game of Thrones and a lot in this episode, and they are dealing with honor too. Not just their honor, but the honor of the men in their lives or the honor of the other men. I want to get that clear, but I doubt this show and of this time, and George R. R. Martin was kind of writing this this, uh, this time was, uh, to call it patriarchal, was uh, would be, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> under assessment of the situation there. But so honor, a lot of men have it in this episode. Some men are without it, and they feel they're without it. And most are trying to figure out what that means. And some just selling an idea of honor and writing behind the shield of honor, as I, I say. This episode starts with Theon. We have a lot going on. Theon is in the midst of his fall, his absolute fall. He's fighting for his honor as the Prince of Winterfell, which, of course, is the next episode, Prince of Winterfell. But Getty continues to make the wrong decisions, uh, telling uh, Maester Lewin it's better to be cruel than weak. That's part of what he's dealing with. 
when they think they find the boys, he knows they don't find the boys. Um, he's got to put up what he thinks honor is. He's struggling with that. And, and that's a, it's a powerful thread throughout season two, the fall of Theon. And uh, this episode ends with, that's, that's why, you know, it ends with Theon's face. And we'll get to that. But that's why this episode of Man Without Honor, yes, it's all taken from that scene, those scenes with Jamie Lannister and Catelyn Stark and, and, and Brienne. But really, it's everyone. That's why this episode ending on Theon staring at the charred bodies of the farm boys uh, that he knows he murdered to keep up some sort of honor with the people of Winterfell, with his family name, with his men. It's part of the tragedy of this episode. Jon Snow is faced with his views of honor to this point in his life. His you know, there's the, the honor of the vows he's taken, honor in his purpose. He's, 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 done, he's gone to the wall because it's a great honor. And look, he's already learned a lot of lessons. But remember, he's with Egret during this episode because he wanted to prove himself to his brothers, to Jor Mormon and Corn Halfhand, and he wants to be a ranger. He wants to be a hero. That's honorable and he wants to do the honorable thing like the man he believes is his father and that honor uh, the blood of the starks the blood of the 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 you know the first men and uh, all those things that he's very proud about and in some ways i would say he should and you should be proud to have ned stark as your father as you know it. and i don't i don't cast the starks as villains here I don't necessarily cast even the North as the villains at this point in time. There may have been things done thousands of years ago that we wouldn't want to uh, condone. But John is faced with all of that, that word honor, what it means. And Egret shatters his world. We'll get into that. That's some of the best stuff. It's some of, to me, some of the key world building for John and his world and his view. And love that stuff. We got Tywin Lannister in this episode. You got the great stuff with Arya. There's so much great stuff with Arya Stark and Tywin Lannister. And Tywin is talking about legacy, which is his kind of view of honor and purpose, saying this will be my last war. Do you know what legacy means? Great stuff with Tywin as he kind of comes to terms with who he was and what his honor means. And then you got Arya, Arya listening and weighing two versions of honor. She wants to kill Tywin. He's on the list. She's got the she's got the steak knife, the mutton knife in her hand. She has those thoughts. And I don't say I don't think she's like, ah, you know, I don't know, maybe Tywin's a good guy. Not at all. But she's taking in some stuff. She's listening to what Tywin's saying. She is playing along. She's too smart for her own good. And she continues to look look at Tywin as he's talking about legacy, dynasty, legacy, honor. And thinking fondly, sadly, tragically uh, back at her father, who she knows he knows. Like it's it's it, it, it's those scenes. You got the scenes earlier in the season. They're kind of fun. Tywin, uh, you know, taking jabs at his men, saying Arya, the the, the cupbearer, smarter. But then you got the great tension with Baelish. This is I, I, these are my favorite Arya Tywin scenes here in this episode. You got the Hound. You got the Hound and his honor, and we love doing calls here on Casually Talk. You can call into the app and get on the show. Because the way we're doing the rewatch, I'm trying to get back on a schedule. If you have a, a call about a particular season, just put it in the title so I can see it. If you want to do season three, episode four right now, today, you have a thought about season three, episode four, let me know. Because when I, I, I pre-tape a lot of these, uh, some we might do soon live uh, via the power of the GPA. Uh, we might do that. Um, so... Um, Get in there, get a call. We got a great call here right now from our buddy. I want to make sure it's up here. Uh, Eric Monroe always got a great uh, great call or two in, in, in shows, and he's talking about the Hound. We'll talk about the Hound and his honor here in this episode. Hey, Ken Casterly Talks. So Game of Thrones Season 2, Episode 7, Man Without Honor. So one of the things I find fascinating about the Hound's journey is he really tried to educate the Stark girls later on with Arya, but with Sansa... You know, he tells her in the season one finale, you know, just give the king what he wants, spare yourself some pain. What he tells her in Blackwater and what he tells her in this episode where he says, you know, killing is the sweetest thing there is. And she says, 
you know, my father didn't enjoy killing. He's like, well, guess what? Your father lied. It, he enjoyed it, whether he wanted to admit it or not. And I think these were lessons Sansa and later Arya carried with them through the rest of the series. I absolutely agree with that, Eric. Uh, the g- great, powerful stuff with the Hound and uh, Arya, and now the Hound and Sansa. And I, I, and listening and hearing the lessons, you know, um, we always go to uh, later seasons uh, when when Arya and Sansa are back together, and and after they've, um, you know, kind of come to terms, even while they're coming to terms, or, or playing against ba- Baelish, all that stuff. We'll get to it later on, of course. I love that scene. We talk about it a lot. There's a couple scenes of them talking about father and maybe what he did wrong. And, and I don't, not necessarily wrong, but just trying to protect them and maybe too much. And so I love that the Hound is constantly telling both the Stark girls, pay attention. This is the real world. This is what's actually going on. And it's interesting to me in an episode that is titled A Man Without Honor. And there's great knights, leaders, heroes, men who want to be kings and rulers and princes and all those kind of things. Here's the hound who wants nothing to do with knighthood. Do not call him Sir Sandor, Sir Hound. Do not call him that. He's not a knight. He doesn't want any part of that life. And he is broken, and he is uh, beaten in his heart, in his mind, and often his body. But he might be one of the most honorable men in the show, and this is you know the stuff that's gone on with the the riot in King's Landing, Flea Bottom. What are, what sense is talking about in in the scenes here where she kind of runs into him, and you know you got the stuff uh, you know uh, um, Sansa uh, gets her period and Shay and all those kind of things, and and the Hound does is there and does report on her, and you know he's doing what he's doing, doing he's in service to the Lannisters. But in watching this episode, it really it struck me as you know. John is honorable, but John's trying to figure out what that means. You know, Jor is honorable. Of course, my man Jor is, but he's working through some things. And what's motivating him? And Jamie doesn't know if he ever had honor, but he believes he did a very honorable thing and no one gets it. And here comes the hound, the rough, angry, evil hound. And so far, outside of early on season one stuff, the killing of Micah and everything, he continues to do things that you would consider honorable more than almost any other character. And I love that. And therefore, to back up what Eric's saying, those might be some more valuable lessons that are being taught. He is no knight, but he is a man with his own brand of honor. Over in Karth, we got kind of what I think is the other version, a man without honor. Zara Zohan Doxus is there. Sometimes I can't st- I can't that joke of Zara Zohan duck sauce. I can't I I I sometimes can't can't not say that. He's selling honor. So the benefit of hindsight, we we know that the show version of Zaro is is you know done his part to take these dragons. Uh, we are getting the big reveal here that he has proclaimed himself the king of Karth, working with Piat Pri, all those kind of things there. But uh, at this moment, the, the the first scene we really get with him and Danny. In this episode, she's obviously frantic about the dragon, sad about Eerie, all those kind of things. But here's Zaro completely lying. He's he's lying about what is in his vault. We know that. We get to know that. At, the, at this moment, if you're watching it for the first time, or in 2012, if you're old like me, you don't know. You don't know where it's going. So you're kind of believing him. You're in there. And when he says, a man is what others say he is and no more. He's using that as, look, I, I, my word is my currency. My word is who I am. And I I declared, was it Sumai, outside the gates. And that's what he's saying. I took you under my protection. If, if I took you under my protection and I did something, I, I, that's all I got. All the money, all the robes, everything, it doesn't matter. My word, my word, my word. But what he is really doing is taking that concept of honor and selling it is this lie, selling it to everyone. We always say power resides where men believe it resides. Well, I think honor as well. Honor resides where men believe it resides. We got the hound. No one's going to call the hound honorable, but he's doing actual, truthful, honorable things. And then the flip side is what Zaro is saying. A man is what others say he is and no more. And that to me is also a thesis statement because it comes back also with Jamie who believes 
that he did something of, of, of great honor. He killed the king, stabbed him in the back, yes, to save thousands upon thousands of people. He believes that was done with honor or in the name of honor, and it is used against him. He's the king slayer. A man is what others say he is and no more. You're the king slayer. That's the story. So I love when Zorro says that to me. Boom, put it in lights. That's kind of what this episode is about to me. Rob, Rob Stark is struggling to maintain honor as a king as the cells grow full. He says um, to Alton Lannister as as uh, the Lannister cousin comes back delivering the bad message from Cersei, which, by the way, I love that Cersei loves ripping things up. Well, what did Cersei do with her proposal? She ripped it up. Um, and he actually says to Alton, you acted with honor. Themes of the episode all the way through. Roos Bolton stirs. Uh, Danny. Danny. Oh, we're going to go into some of the Daenerys Targaryen stuff. She struggles to find where to put her trust, who has trust in her, and the honor that comes with that, and where she is in this world, where she is trying to get through all this stuff. We're going to come back to that. The final big one here, the theme, then we'll start going into other things. And we got a we got a, a great call for this one here too. Jamie Lannister. Kind of the main event of the episode, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Jamie, I love this. He is he is uh trapped, he has escaped, mind you. Uh actually, excuse me, that's jumping ahead. That's the stuff with Catelyn. Let's go. I actually want to focus on the Alton uh, Lannister stuff too. Jamie is uh is now sharing a cell, a muddy shitty cell with his cousin and the family, the Lannisters are so big. It's like, are you a Lannister of Lannisport, Lannister Catchley Rock? He doesn't quite remember his mother. Is she the fat one? Ah, no, there's only one fat Lannister. We get some funny banter. La, 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 la. Alton tells this wonderful story and, and, and you can always focus on him. It's, it's heart-wrenching because you know it's about to happen. And Jamie knows the moment Alton's in there, this is a chance to do what I can do to escape. I, I don't doubt for a second. Jamie's not just, uh, it doesn't just hit him as Alton's talking in my mind. But regardless of that, you can focus on Alton telling his story. When he was 16, he got to squire for Jamie Lannister. And even though Alton Lannister is a Lannister, he's one of the far table Lannisters. They're the ones that flew into the wedding from out of town. They're the, they, we put them there. They're near the kitchen door. And he literally tells that story. So it's, it's one way to watch. You can watch that scene looking at uh, the tragedy of Alton Lannister. Because he says it, it was the best day of his life and he'll remember it until the day he dies or the time or the moment he dies. Can't remember the exact quote. And well, it's like, that's today. That's now. It's powerful. But I loved in, in connecting it to the idea of honor. I, I love this idea that Jamie is hearing tales of his honor through the eyes of Alton. He was an honorable knight, Jamie Lannister. A man without honor, he had honor there. He had the armor, the hair, the skills, the aplomb, the love. Alton looked up to him. Alton couldn't even go back. After it was all said and done, that event, he couldn't go back to his friends and family. He didn't, couldn't bear telling them of the time that he squired for Jamie Lannister as opposed to something that he was actively doing, that he had purpose Jamie gets to hear all that. He gets to see it through Alton's eyes. And in his mind, um, I think it, I think that honor was erased. Um, and it's honor placed on him because, again, a man is what others say he is and no more. And at this point in his life, Jamie was an honorable knight, and Alton's confirming that. And then Jamie did what he felt he had to, maybe had no choice to a little bit. He talks about the politics of it. Both the the you know King's Landing politics and the family politics of it with with Catelyn after he escapes and is recaptured, but without a doubt we are already learning by season one midway through that great scene with Barristan him and Robert we are learning burn them all burn them all with the last words of that king, and he was prepared to do it. So Jamie had a choice and he took it, stabbed him in the front. Would that make it better? He asked Ned that a few times. He asked a lot of people that. 
Would that make it better if I stabbed him in the front? If I killed him in the front? Yes, I stabbed him in the back. I killed the pyromancer first, and I stabbed him in the back because he was running away. And I saved King's Landing. I saved every citizen here that I could in that moment. And that, to me, is honor. And Jamie's lost it. It was an honor erased. It's his most honorable moment, and it destroyed who he is in the eyes of others. So to hear him at the start, to hear Alton kind of explain it to him, that's what's so powerful about that moment for me, as well as Alton. Rest in peace, Alton. It's such a tension-filled scene. It's so important to the character of Jamie. You get to see what he once was before he feels he lost it all and, and, and is always trying to get that back. That name, that nickname, that branding Kingslayer never leaves him. Never leaves him. Uh, we got this call here. I want to play uh, from uh, Jacob calling in here. Uh, the Cell of Honor. Jacob says he refers to uh, episode six, but he meant episode seven here. This is a great call from Jacob. Hello, can you casually talk? So season two, episode six, a man without honor. There's a great scene between Jamie and Catelyn in his cell. Jamie's done some horrible things. I think Alton Lannister and Torn Karstark can attest to that. So Catelyn comes and questions Jamie's honor, calls him Kingslayer, says he's no true knight, and he defends himself. He hates being called Kingslayer. He hates that his identity has been tarnished by backstabbing the Mad King but Honor demanded a cleaner death. He doesn't see it that way. He doesn't despise Honor. He despises the hypocrisy of worshipping an idealized version of it. Since he can't convince Catelyn that there's any honor left in him, he exposes the hypocrisy of it. He's forsaken his vows because Aerys is going to kill the innocent. Catelyn, however honorable she tries to be, could not love Jon Snow because she believes him to be Ned's bastard. Hypocrisy. Catelyn knows Jaime is right. That's what makes it seem purposeful because it introduces Jaime's personal plight while challenging what honor means in House Stark and for Catelyn. So those are my thoughts. Thanks. That's a great call, Jacob. I really love that call. Great voice, man, by the way, too. Well thought out call. It's everything I, I love about the scene. It's so true. The hypocrisy of it. Like I keep just r- railing this idea of a, a man who is who people say he is. And now I'm a Kingslayer. Yep, I'm a Kingslayer. No honor. Honor demand I stab him in the front. Oh, no honor. Jon Snow, not necessarily at the same time, because we know these episodes don't necessarily run all at the same time. Jon Snow is north of the wall, and he is, I think, having this hypocrisy, just kind of a lot of things, but of of, of the honor uh, and the vows and, and the things he believes in. Again, not saying all that is bad with Jon Snow, but he, almost at the same time, he's it's being, the hypocrisy is being exposed to him by Egret. Well, here's Jamie to Catelyn, exactly like Jacob said. Oh, I don't have any honor. Yes. Oh, but House Stark. Ned Stark. Now, we later on, and maybe here we had the hunch, but later on, as far as as far as Cat knows, and as far as this world knows, like, yeah. The great Ned Stark lay with another woman, and I was asked to raise that child, and I tried. It was the honorable thing to do, and I hated it, and I hated myself for it. And I made mistakes. We hear a little bit later on in season three, some of the stuff she feels bad about. John's life might have been different. Can't go back and change it. We don't want to go back and change it because that probably is what drove John to the wall in his heart. But it's a great moment. Yeah, Jacob, you're right. Personal plight introduced the personal kind of driving factor with Jamie. Stays with him till kind of the bitter end. Perhaps the only person who accepted what he did, was Cersei. Oh, I think others did. Uh, you know, I think there was some forgiveness later on. Brienne was prepared to all those kind of things. Brienne hears who he is, and I think he's allowed to be himself with Brienne, which is part of the tragedy uh, there of, of him making that decision to leave her after they t- get together. But all his life, all his life, this has stayed with him. And Cersei's been kind of the only one. And I love it. This is one of those, uh, you hate Jamie. You hate him. But we're already like, hey, I mean, it's hard not to. I mean, and Catelyn, you're, you're always rooting for Catelyn. She hasn't necessarily done anything wrong. But that's the thing. It's, it's not that it's wrong. The hypocrisy isn't just that you're lying, Catelyn. It's just like, isn't it a little bit more complicated? These roles, these titles, not necessarily uh, queens and kings and sirs and ladies, but just honor. 
these vows. We take them. We say them. And he's that, that great, oh, they make you take so many vows. You, you, you know, you, you, you bend the knee. You take the vows. You do them all. And what do they really mean? Oh, it's great stuff. Great stuff. Jacob, that's a great call. So many vows. They make you swear and swear. I love to when uh, Catelyn says, uh, calls him King Slayer. And Jamie says, oh, yes. And what a king he was. You are a man without honor, Catelyn says, as she's trying to work it all out herself. And Jamie brings it on. Oh, yes. Yes. Ned kept his honor. Oh, good old honorable Ned. Now, again, we know there was more honor to Ned, but that was part of the honor Ned had is he was going to take on this dishonor uh, to keep his actual honor. Layers to it all. But for what they all know, including Catelyn, Jamie is speaking the hard, hard truth. All right, one of the things we also love to do here on Casterly Talk uh, is going to our favorite scenes and moments, foreshadowing some little tiny things, almost sometimes little cute things where you look now and go, oh, yeah, that means a lot more later. And there's a lot in here. Uh, I love uh, great stuff with Egret and Jon Snow. Of course, this is the episode in which we get the uh, first, you know, nothing Jon Snow. Egret telling Jon, and you think you're free. I won't do her accent. She does, uh, she does that accent so well. Rose Leslie, uh, you think you're free. And, and I love that she's saying this to Jon Snow, standing in the land that he would eventually go to. I love tracking the why of Jon Snow and the why of Daenerys Targaryen on this rewatch. You just keep seeing big, powerful things emerging uh, with these two things. And uh, I love it. And you think you're free. Uh, the big moment here, uh, this is uh, foreshadowing, but also just kind of one of my favorite scenes here is uh, uh, Jon kind of talking about what he knows. Again, you know, I, my, my blood is uh, of the first men too. Uh, um, it runs through me. I'm a Stark. I'm ne- he reveals. You see, you're kind of like, uh-oh. Oh, we got a valuable, we got a valuable prisoner here. But also, I think, I, I think Egret too is like, hey, she's, come on. She's, she's using uh, her sexuality as a, as a weapon here, as she should. She needs to survive. She needs to get on. And she's, and it's so well, and it's so comical um, uh, at times. But it's a, it's a weapon. It's a survival tool right here. But I, I you know, come on, let's not lie. She was feeling some stuff. So I think she's kind of like, oh, this, this little cute boy I kind of met north of the wall here, uh, or in the real north, uh, it's Ned Stark's bastard son. Oopsie. So there's a lot of great stuff there, but I love, I love the moment when he's like going in on uh, House Stark and Ned and all those things, and she says, these are not your lands. That's when he throws it back at her, and she, she just says so simply to him, so why are you fighting us? He's got no words. No words. Think of Jon Snow going forward. Think of him now, but think of Jon Snow going forward. He is a hero. He's willing to help and fight and protect. But it's not just for one side anymore. It slowly starts to just brick by brick come apart. He's going to learn so much, of course. Learn of honor from Ants Raider. Learn, learn a lot more going forward. But go back to this scene. It starts to turn in his heart. There's so much truth in what Egret's saying. Y'all, y'all, you, you lot threw up a wall. All right, that's all you did, and said we couldn't go south of it. Why, well, I'm, you know, come on, I'm part of you too. Then why are you fighting? I don't think that question leaves John, maybe forever. Love that, love that stuff. More on that here. Um, say, and Egret also, uh, you know, there's a, when she's kind of like, hey, just come on, you and I just cut cut the ropes, stay up here. Let's you and I build a cabbage. She talks about teaching John where to hunt and fish. And, and in my head, it's not direct, but I think to me, it's laying groundwork for his for his future. My head cam. I got to think when he uh, leaves the cat, the Night's Watch at the end, and, and walks with Tormund and, and the Free Folk. John's in his head, like, okay, the spirit of Egret will guide me. Teach me how to fish and hunt and build a cabin, and I'll be good up here. I love that stuff there. I love the little things with Roose Bolton, kind of too many prisoners. Lord Karstark seems like he's Lord Karstark seems like a happy fellow. He should smile more. And I love too where Roose Bolton goes and goes pretty fast in season three where he ends up with a red wedding. I remember at the time being kind of upset because I thought I kind of liked Roose. Like season two, he seemed like a good confidant for Rob. <laughs> oh, the things you missed on a first rewatch back in 2012. Almost every shot here in season two of Roos is just the eye roll. 
I roll, I roll. I love that. I love Arya talking about Visenya and her Valyrian steel sword, just knowing that she'll uh, she'll get some Valyrian steel later on and do great things and be a hero that many, many will talk about, like Visenya and Rhaenys. Uh, um, we got uh, Daria. I loved uh, They Can't Find Daria and how you go just a couple episodes ahead. You're like, why were we surprised that Daria was with Zorro? I mean, it's all there from the beginning, and including her love of dragons. We talked about that and other stuff. We got the Quaith stuff. So I love the Quaith stuff. I always go back to this. Quaith was not a plot thread left undone. It was, it's different in the books. It's Quaith is here for Jorah's story. So she serves her purpose for Jorah's story. Uh, is she intriguing? Is she interesting? Do I love the, uh, was it Sheer Sea Star uh, theories? Totally. And I hope we get much more in the books because Quaith is, if you haven't read the books yet, Quaith has uh, a lot more. Um, not more to do and a lot more stuff directly with Danny, but I, I love the use of her in the show and I love what she's, she's there for Jorah. Uh, a kind of a, a mirror at times reflected for Jorah. And she says, uh, it's crazy. This payoff comes in season five. We talked about this, but a man must sail past the doom of Ovalera. All who sail through it must have protection as she's putting that, uh, protection, uh, tattoo on that naked guy there in the front. Uh, and, of course, going to season five, Jorah, if you just listened, at least not go through the doom. Uh, and just says straight, straight up to him, you love her? Will you betray her again? Will you betray her again? Uh, again, I, I, I think she's, in, in a way, a, a, a mirror to hold up to Jorah and reflect uh, who he is and who he wants to be and a man who is uh, who people say he is. I love the little moment uh, with uh, the spice trader and the great, uh, I think it's a great scene when uh, uh, Piat Pri uh, kills him, uh, kills all the thir- the rest of the thirteen, and and Zorro makes his big play. It's kind of a creepy scene, and it caught me off guard too back in the day. I love when the spice trader says, "Your dragons will bring the world nothing but death and misery, my dear." He, for a time, yeah, I'd say spice trader really right about that. Final little uh, foreshadowing that just uh, it, it, Jamie, upon seeing Brian for the first time, is that a woman? And yeah, he's being rude, he's being mean, he's being a jerk. But Jamie, that woman, is going to change your life. Favorite moments, lines, and scenes. Uh, more of uh, those there. Did you pull the knife on me in the night, Egret? Who doesn't love a good boater joke? Thank you, Egret. I love, too, when she says to Jon Snow, God's your doll. I, a, lot of people, a lot of people love Jon Snow, and I love Jon Snow, too. Jo, and Joe Snow, his cousin. I love Jon Snow. But in that moment, I think Egret is echoing a lot of opinions of good boy John. A lot of people, he's a good boy. He's a good boy, that John. <laughs> but a lot of people are like, too good. Goody two-shoes. Boring. Uh, and yeah, her thing, uh, you think you're better than me, Crow. I just like that line. Going to Tywin. Uh, it was a great scene with Arya and Tywin. It's a great series of scenes. Um, and then I, I re- this is my favorite one. Uh, but I love Tywin's little line of, is that mutton? Yeah. Don't like mutton. I just love that Tywin has a favorite food choice. He just seems like someone who doesn't have time to care about the food he likes. But at some point, a happy young Tywin had a had a slice of mutton and was like, "Ooh, I, I don't like this. I don't like this. Give me something else. Give me a crow pile pie or eel soup or eel pie." Um, Tywin has favorites. Uh, this is my favorite scene. Uh, so these scenes are great for Arya and her experiences and, and growth, as are all the scenes with, with Arya, all the scenes with Arya and anyone, particularly in the early seasons. But uh, with, with Arya and Tywin, I think she's seeing a bigger picture of the world. She's connecting. She's seen, she's seen what these men see in her house and her father and her brother, the young wolf and all those kind of things. She's learning a lot. But this particular scene, the whole sequence, uh, the whole sequence during the second season of, of Tywin and, and Arya, is so great. It's fan favorite for a reason, uh, show only, as we know. But to me, one of the things I love about it is it is it is the most human we see Tywin to me, other than when he dies sitting on the john. That's, I guess, unfortunately human. The stuff when he is sitting there... Uh, He's connecting. Uh, I, I I always play the game of like, how does he know? Does he know who she is? Nah, if he really knew she was a Stark, he, he's Tywin. He, he would uh, make use of that. So I, I've always said he doesn't really, really know. Baelish might be the one that knows more than Tywin. But Tywin knows she's not who she says she is, at least. And the honest, uh, the very honest, raw, just kind of uh, the laughter when, when uh, uh, Arya says, most girls are idiots. The... 
kind of he's kind of schooled by her a little bit when he talks about the history, and she he's talking about Aegon and says some. Uh, Tywin says one of my favorite quotes in the show, which is Aegon Targaryen changed the rules, the rules of power, the rules of uh, leadership, perhaps even the rules of honor. And uh, Tywin's one of those men that seems to want to change the rules to help his conquest or help defend the honor of his family. So there's that, but you know what I mean? Like Tywin's just kind of sitting there mulling things over, mulling who he is, laughing at Arya, thinking about his daughter, thinking about Cersei, not the queen, not the queen region, none of these other titles that Cersei has. None of that. He thinks of like Cersei, his daughter what she must have been like. And we get a glimpse of that a little bit later on, uh, season five with Maggie the Frog, but um, it's, it's, it's human. Even when the scene ends, and, and there's a little banter and a little bickering back and forth, Arya getting too big for her britches uh, for Tywin in this moment. But even then, he's coaching her. My lord versus my lord and all those kind of things. And and I love that he's like, you, you know, the, you're, you're too smart for your own good. Has anyone told you that before? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she walks out. Focus on Tywin. He gives a little smile. And I don't necessarily think it's just about Arya. I think it's about the past and, and Cersei and, and Jamie and maybe not Tyrion. And I'm not saying use this scene as any kind of sympathy or empathy or compassion for Tywin, but Game of Thrones always does a great job of, of getting to the core of these characters, even when they're pretty ruthless. Uh, I'm never going to root for Ramsay, but when he gets you know naturalized, and Ruth and him are standing on that hill. You see, you feel it. You feel it. Theon, you know, especially during this run, season two and three, and I'm not rooting for Theon here. I'm rooting for him by the end. But now in this rewatch, you see where the cracks are. You see how the trouble is coming, and you see where the pain is. I think you see a little bit of what time. He is, with Arya, he, he gets to be something other than the fearsome, Lord Tywin. And that's why I love this particular scene. I was thinking of this here, uh, not for nothing, but being on location makes Egret and John's scenes just something special. I'm sure they had to get up at like 4 a.m. for like the magic hour and all those kind of production things. But I just, and this is nothing against VR sets or green screens or anything, but it's gorgeous. Those sequences are gorgeous. I love them. All right, so we got this Danny and Jorah scene. Well, I'll say this. I like uh, there's the scene with Shay. I like uh, I like good old Laurel, uh, loyal Bernadette coming to try to deliver the word to uh, Cersei and Shay holding the knife, but the hound's there. Uh, I love that. And we got the great stuff with, um, gosh, I'm looking at my notes. There's a lot, actually. Uh, uh, Cersei and Sansa, I love uh, I love this scene because uh, Cersei has a moment to me as Sansa's mother or maybe wicked stepmother or whatever you want to say. And it's interesting to see a lot of this stuff, a lot of the early Sansa and Cersei stuff and tie it ahead to some of the stuff in season seven and eight where Sansa kind of has a bit of maybe a, a positive, uh, not, not positive, but, you know, she, she looks up to Cersei. She's learned a lot from Cersei. She gets it. She gets why she's bad. She gets why she must be destroyed. She gets, uh, she knows Cersei as an enemy. But she sees maybe what Cersei could have been. I don't know. I'd love to talk to Sansa about that, but... I look at these scenes and tie it to that kind of stuff. And there's also a great moment. Talking about the choices, Lena Headey makes a, a, a great choice. Delighting. Cersei delights at uh, Sansa's kind of naivete behind her back as she's talking to her about uh, you know, flowering. And this, oh, you know, and Sansa's like, no, my mom didn't tell me this would be this messy. And just like, there's this great shot, uh, great shot of, of Cersei just kind of like sipping the wine, rolling that tongue, just kind of like, oh, this girl. Oh, I'm having fun with this. I love that choice. We talk about honor. I think Santa learns a little bit about King Robert's honor. As Cersei tells the story of, you know, uh, I, I'd go into birth and Robert would go off into the forest and hunt. He'd bring me a stag head or something like that. Uh, I love that. It's, uh, again, a view of, of uh, Santa getting a different view of the king and his honor there, too, as well. You may never love the king, but you'll love his children. Uh, Cersei gives her own kind of uh, love is the death of duty speech. Love no one but your children. The aftermath, to me, this is kind of the aftermath of that great season one scene with Robert. Doesn't make her feel anything. She loves her children. We get it. We get the, um, we get what she wants. Uh, get to see what drives her uh, is what that means there. So talking a little bit about some of the other scenes here, uh, I want to go to uh, Danny and Jorah. 
Uh, Jorah comes back. He's been out there trying to find a ship. The dragons are gone. Uh, Eerie's gone, dead. Uh, uh, Dorea is missing. Jorah comes back. He says, my place is by your side. Uh, goes on to say, I shouldn't have left you alone with these people. Uh, Daddy says, these people? Like, whoa, hey, man. Um, they're not to be trusted. We talk honor. Trust is part of honor, I think. If you have honor, maybe you gain trust. You know. But trust is on the mind of Danny here. And who is to be trusted? Who are my people? The Targaryens? She talks about that. The Dothraki? They left her side. Uh, she talks about her brother, the only Targaryen she knew, who she says would let a thousand men rape her, if would get him what he wanted. And then she says this, people in Westeros don't know I'm alive. She jokes about, oh, they'll have the banners. This is the, they toast secretly my honor story she's been told her whole life. Um, and Jorah says, she, she draws the comparisons to her brother again, and Jorah says, uh, you are not your brother. Trust me. Danny says, there it is. Trust me. It goes on to ask Jorah, mind you, Quaith is already in on him. You know, you're going to betray her. A little bit later that scene comes, but it's already out there. Jorah knows what he did. So he's saying, trust me. And Danny's just like, only you? Are you the only one? Are you the only one I should trust? Even that doesn't work for her. And I don't need trust any longer. Which I think is a powerful statement for Daenerys Targaryen. We talk often about season one, but season two as well. She is not in control. She is initially sold into the marriage, essentially. The uh, rape, as it's portrayed on the show, she's not in control of that. She tries to take uh, con control of the uh, sexual uh, relationship with Cal Drogo. Um, she tries to take, uh, she has to try to, try to uh, you know, get out from control of her brother. Then the Dothraki, she steps into the fire. She's, she's learning. And in season two, all that leads her to the de desert where she's dying. And she needs to be led into Karth. She needs to compromise. And she, Danny to me is always, that this is, I don't need trust any longer. This to me is one of her themes, one of the, the whys of Danny, of her always trying to fight for her own way. Jorah says no one can survive in this world without help. We're season two, episode seven. And Jorah says no one can survive in this world without help. I don't think Danny's wrong here. I don't need trust any longer. She needs to be in control. She is begging the spice trader, the spice king. He won't give her his ships. She's dragons are gone. She has all these offers, and she needs ships. She needs help. She needs support. She needs an army. She needs a lot of things, but she's not getting the help she needs. And she doesn't know who to trust, and she doesn't necessarily believe a lot of people have reason to trust her. She doesn't need that. Who needs trust? She needs to be herself. But it is haunting for me to hear Jorah say no one can survive in this world without help. You do need help. And you do need people you can trust and that trust you. And one by one, after she seems to gain all the help in the world. Think of Danny and Marine, which can be frustrating at times. She's learned to be a ruler. She makes some decisions by now. The show is really starting to make statements about where she's going, what the world is doing to her. I still, I still contend a lot of the point of it is to see the treatment of Danny, the view of Danny is not a good one, and there's a powerful, painful lesson in that. All those kind of things you've all heard me talk about or listened to me talk about here on the show. Barristan Selmy in season five basically telling her and us what's going to happen to her if she's not careful. She has all that help. No one can survive in this world without help. She gets the help she needs, and then it's slowly peeled away, and she can no longer survive. It's a part of the tapestry. Danny's story is like all the stories here in Game of Thrones. It's complicated, and it it can be a trial. It can be it can test your uh, metal as a fan if you're inspired by Danny. But go back to some of this early stuff, and you see some of it rolling out in front of you there. Uh, closing with some of the uh, stuff here on this episode. Good to be back talking Game of Thrones with all of you. Man, it's so fun. Uh, I love listening to uh, the um, 
the great scene. There's some great th- scenes here with Cersei and Tyrion. Um, it, Cersei and Tyrion, especially in like season two, they're, they're just so good together. Uh, uh, Lena Headey and Dinklage, uh, they're pals. I think they were room flatmates for a while um, during this time. I mean, they just know each other. And, and this scene, and, and D.B. Wise talks about it in the, in the uh, extra footage uh, and the little featurettes after if you watch on HBO, HBO Max, or on the DVDs if you still have those. He talks about the choices both of them make. Cersei's almost on the verge. She, she does confess a lot. She confesses a lot to Tyrion. And things he already knew, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, they're talking about the control of Joffrey. She lays it all out. This is the truth. And says that, that line, sometimes I wonder if this is the price for what we've done for our sins. They don't like each other, maybe. There's a hate, hate, as D.B. Weiss describes it, but there's something there. And maybe they both want something there. A man, you know, is is who others say he is. Well, Tyrion been called a lot of things by Cersei, and he's called her a lot of things. So maybe in their own eyes, they are different things to each other, and maybe they don't want to be that anymore. And the subtext of that is played on this scene here. Tyrion wants to comfort his sister, but he doesn't know how. It's almost a there, there hand. There, 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 there. Cersei wants to confess all of it. She says a lot. Again, this is the truth. Things that might have been known, but she wants to talk about it. She wants to just lay it all out. She is burdened. She's been used and abused her whole life as well. It's one of the, I think, lessons of Cersei too. And for Sansa to look at Cersei, for Sansa to be connected with Cersei a little bit and see that that... That dream life you wanted, Sansa, it could be this, which ain't, ain't much of anything. And it's heartbreaking. And what Cersei and Tyrion are trying to say but are not saying and can't say is so powerful in the scene. I love that stuff. Uh, Jamie and Alton, going back to that, just some great stuff in there. Jamie on Barristan Selmy, he was a painter, a painter that only used red. Uh, Nikolai's so good. It's a, it's a good thing I am who I am. I would have been useless at anything else. Jamie kind of uh, pigeonholing himself there. And to me, again, it's not about Jamie losing his honor. It's just refusing him to, just kind of refusing to, to, to give in who he thinks he is sometimes. So a lot of great stuff there. Episode ends with Theon's final look, that heart-wrenching scene, the bodies um, pulled up. And that's why this episode of Man Without Honor doesn't end on Jamie. It doesn't end on Catelyn Stark saying that. It doesn't end on anything but Theon Greyjoy. As Maester Lewin screams, what have you done? And that crack on his face. We know it's a lie. We know it's a facade. He's searching for honor, and he is a man without honor. And he's so far off the path. Powerful end. Great episode. Love this episode. Watch it often. Put it on when you just want a good, deep-thinking Saturday. (laughs) Put on this one. Episode stars... I gotta say, Rose Leslie is Egret again and again and again. I, I think uh, she's so awesome in these, just so great. Um, love everything she does, but this is this episode really just it just she just reaches out and grabs you. She grabs Jon Snow, grabs his heart right here. I think this episode she changes his world. Ian Hanmore is Piat Pri. I've always loved Piat Pri. Come come join us at the House of the Undying. So lyrical. In his delivery, uh, really creepy, so good. Uh, love him there. And I want to say this: I was watching this episode, and there's there's so many just superstars in this episode. But I got Richard Madden as the warm-hearted king. His stuff with Talisa, you can watch. You can kind of be, no, you're going to break a vow. Where's your honor? What he's trying to do here, man. He he would have been a good king. Renly would have been a good king. I think, I think uh, Rob Stark would have been a little better of a king if he'd gotten there. Ah, uh, you know, maybe a couple of times a little too confident, maybe sometimes a little too full of himself, a little too stubborn. Hey, that's a Stark trait. We get that. But in watching him here with Talisa, I, he's doing the right things. He is truly full of, of honor as a king, as a potential king for the entire seven kingdoms, who is the king of the north here. Uh, and that's part of the tragedy. 
part of what could have been. So that is it for this week as we uh, close our look at uh, Season 2, Episode 7 of Game of Thrones, A Man Without Honor, one of my favorites indeed. David Nutter, great directing work too. Just again, finding the powerful out of the quiet. Love that stuff there too. So... Hey, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I hope you're subscribed to the podcast. If you're listening on YouTube, if you're on the uh, podcast, you want to pop over and, uh, you know, see uh, see the nice little plant I now have hanging behind me there. Ooh, look at that. Organic nature in the studio. Thank you so much. Uh, you can continue to stay subscribed here to the Ken Napsuck YouTube channel. A lot of stupid, silly things on the way here, but also uh, we are doing a lot of great things, at least we hope it's great things, over the Good People Association, a channel that's not just a digital brand, and empire fund, it's a production company working on some cool things, um, hopefully that one day you all see. But also we're uh, raising awareness for charities and uh, just trying to get out. Uh, Josh McCougar's got the Positivity Report in the morning, the great teacher feature, a lot of things going on. Go to the gpa.fund for more information. All right, all right, all right. And uh, as I said, new YouTube channel. It's up already. I've got videos at both spots, which I know seems weird. That's that's fine. And, and I think we're going to be releasing these episodes on Saturday mornings to not uh, conflict with uh, GPA programming on Fridays. We'll be under the banner. Official announcement coming soon. We'll give you all a chance here on the uh, Ken Napsuck YouTube page to uh, switch over um, to watch stuff there. And then, and I'll try to get as many of the back episodes filled in on the playlist for the rewatch. And then again, the podcast right where you are. This is where you're going to want to be for Game of Thrones news, for House of the Dragon, and the book, uh, Winds of Winter, Dreams of Springs, and Springs of Winters, and Spring Rolls. Uh, whatever George Hardmar wants to write, we'll talk about here. And of course, continue to look back on Game of Thrones. We're doing this rewatch going all the way to season eight. It's going to take us a bit, but we're going to get through there. Great guests coming back, of course. Not just going to be me. Can't wait for that. So uh, that is it for this week, my friends. We'll see you soon here on Casterly Talk. <laughs> <laughs>